Counter the latest internet sensation. If it's happening in Melbourne, Seb Costello all over it. Seb, you're a pest, mate. Love your show. It, it, it is a bit ridiculous. So I jumped out of bed and all I had was my undies on. Cheese to cop them all. Weekend breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. This is the weekend breakfast. And during the week, we did a little market research. We asked people how exactly they listen to the show. Here's what one man said. Mate, I run around in my jocks. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, it is rather humorous, Hitchy. Plenty to come this morning. I heard a little rumour, and we'll be investigating this, as to whether some bullets were found on a Melbourne train during the week. We'll get stuck into that. Also, Misha Tate, one of the most famous names of the UFC women's division. She'll be in studio having a chat. And also, this car chase is just out of control. Teenage driver driving a stolen car from Thomastown to Heathcote, and he still hasn't been caught. We'll drill down into that. Doesn't he know it's Victoria? Even if he did stop, he'd just get a slap on the wrist and bail anyway. May as well have handed himself in. Working off air on this story, a little rumour doing the rounds that some dangerous ammunition was found on a Melbourne train in the southeast. I'll bring you more details as soon as I've got them. If you know anything about it, give us a call, one triple three five three. But we're doing a bit more digging. I understand police may well be involved as they try and track down what the bullets were doing there and where they may have come from. But if you went to bed early, and chances are, if you're joining us this morning, you probably did. You may have finished the way the cricket ended up. And day two in Adelaide in the third test between Australia and South Africa was a great day for the Aussies. We finished the day with a 48-run lead with four wickets remaining, six for 307. And after he opened the batting for Australia, Usman Khawaja is still standing there, knocking up his fifth test century. All the more, all the better. Oh, it's cut shot. It's through! Kawaja lays back on a cut and picks up a ton. Open the batting for Australia and has done the job. Who's the man? Star Usman Kawaja. He battled along with the Victorian Peter Hanscom, who I have been championing just a little bit over the past few weeks uh, on the weekend breakfast to get him into the test side. He was in there, he was on debut, and he knocked up a half century of his own. In a decent display of batting brought up by a somewhat strange pull shot. Definitely did not mean to hit that pull shot, uh, but luckily enough it came out of the middle and, and went into the gap, so that was a nice feeling and um, took a little moment there just to just to try and enjoy it and, and lap it up as much as I could, um, but then had to, had to try and quieten down and, and go back into my bubble and play the way I play. That's the great Victorian himself, Peter Hanscom, who has been bashing him all over the park at Sheffield Shield level over the last few years. He's in his mid-twenties, so this guy could play test cricket for Australia for the next decade. And last night, he shared his thoughts on whether he can be a part of this team. Obviously very determined. Um, you know, there is that chance there to, to try and cement a spot in the middle order, um, which I'll be trying to take uh, with both hands. Um, cricket's never easy. It's one of those games where um, it can change very quickly. Um, you know, you're one innings away from being in a rut or you're one innings away from going on a massive roll. So uh, I'm just trying to take it as... as um, I don't want to say casual because I'm not trying to be casual. I'm still trying to go out there and, and go about my processes, but um, trying to focus on just what I do and then everything else around it hopefully looks after itself. He's saying all the right things, Peter Hanscom. Off air, we have just made contact 
with the man who found the pouch of bullets on a train in the southeast in the Cheltenham area, so I'm told. We're just having a chat to him on air. We'll be able to bring you all the details a bit later in the show. In the meantime, we've actually got some photos of the ammunition that was found. You can see that on my Twitter account, at SebCostello9. Jump on that, have a look, see what you think. If you've got any ideas on why the hell they would be there, we'd love to hear them. At SebCostello9 is the Twitter handle. Now's this, the founder of the Corona Brewery. So, you know, the... uh, the sort of Mexican-Spanish kind of beer, he has passed away. He was a guy by the name of Antonio Fernandez, went on to become the CEO of Grupo Modelo, who was the brewing company that made Corona. Well, in his will, it is reported that he has left $200 million of his fortune to the residents of the sleepy Spanish town where he grew up. There's about 80 residents in, I won't be able to say this properly, Carrizales del Condado, where he grew up, and roughly it equates to around $3 million Australian dollars for each resident of that town. Round of applause for Antonio Fernandez. You think you've got a good boss? $3 million for everybody. Make it rain in that sleepy Spanish village. Hats off to you, Antonio. Now, we first got this tip off off air, and we've been working on it pretty hard. And we've confirmed it. If you go on my Twitter, at SebCostello9, you can see photos of ammunition that was found just lying on a seat on a Melbourne train. It was yesterday morning, and there have been a couple of tweets coming through with a few people suggesting how they may have got there. Hank at Seb Costello says they might belong to a policeman. Well, we'll check in with Victoria Police and see if that may well be the case. Uh, And William says those things don't have multiple uses. Just let that sink in. Scary. Yeah, and that's why this is concerning. What were they going to be used for and why were they there? Well, we've gone to the source of this. We've tracked down the man who actually found them himself. Wren is on the line. And, mate, look, it must have been a concerning train ride for you, not quite your typical journey into the southeast. Where were you exactly? Just a couple stops before Cheltenham, because that's the first time I looked up. But I've seen what I thought was a torch package on the floor. So I've uh, gone over, wandered over, picked it up. I thought it was torch batteries in this torch pouch. So I uh, upended it in my hand and now it rolls out four 38 caliber bullets. I said, oh God, that's the first thing I said was, uh, did I have to bring this in my hand this morning? Yeah, and then that out rolls in your hand and you think, oh my God, what are we going to work it with, you know? Mate, so have you contacted police? Yes, as soon as I got off the train station, I went straight to the police station, reported it, handed them in, left my details and uh, basically told them the carriage number that it was on and they're going to go through CCTV because they expect that the carriage would have been cleaned in the morning before it started commuting. Um, it was the first train of the day, so you know, I dare say they'd be able to track the person. And what do they, they suspect? Did they think that you know these bullets were going to be used for you know, pretty uh, nefarious purposes? They didn't comment whatsoever in, in that situation. They were just glad that I handed them in and... Yeah, uh, you've sent me a couple of photos. They look, you know, pretty. Uh, uh, they, they look like the type of bullets, you know, you don't exactly use to go uh, clay target shooting. No, and I really didn't want to have them in my hand whatsoever. You know, so um, I didn't even want to look at them. I had to actually handle a couple of them to put them back in the pouch because they rolled out onto the seat of the of the uh, of the uh, train. So I had to handle them and put them back in. But you know, I was just about to gear up. To, to get off the train and that happened. So it wasn't a good start to the day, let me put it that way. Well, mate, they're safer in your hands than the hands of whoever left them there. So, mate, good on you for picking it up and uh, thanks you, thank you for telling us what happened. No worries, Seb, any time, mate. It wasn't that long ago that we were watching iPhone vision and security footage from the Commonwealth Bank in Springvale in just complete disbelief. 
To think that this guy, 21-year-old guy, could wander into that bank with a can of petrol, pour it all over the bank and himself before lighting it on fire was unfathomable. Over 20 people were injured in that in what must have been just a terrifying situation to be involved in. And it was all thanks to members of the public that the toll, the casualty list, wasn't worse. Yesterday, Vic Pohl went public with some new CCTV vision of two tradies who went in the back of the bank trying to look for people and trying to help people get out. Police say that these two men definitely saved lives. Now, it's understood that one of them might be the former Collingwood footballer Kyle Martin, but police are yet to confirm that. They say they're still looking for the proper identity on both of these men. Also involved in that rescue attempt was another tradie who has been celebrated for his work in all the drama, and he joins us on the line this morning. It's a very good morning to Ash Atkins. Fine. Good morning, guys. How are you? Mate, good. Now, look, let's just go back and, uh, and if you can, just tell us what you remember of when you first became aware this was going to be an emergency. Yeah, look, I was working um, literally the other side of the road um, when I heard a big blast go off. It wasn't, you know, I looked up, it wasn't until I see this poor lad running across screaming in pain with his face, you know, burnt and his hands you know, ripped off and bleeding everywhere. I realised it was a blast as I was running across the road. So, yeah, it was... Um, bit of a hectic time as I was running across and yeah so I thought I'd just you know get in there and help out you know and when you say you help out what were you able to do oh as I was running across the road I, I could see there's two entrances to the Commonwealth Bank I could see the the, the um, explosion was in the second exit in and um, the first thing I thought of all the staff were going to go towards the back so there was one man who was, who was uh, helping me called Mitch and the Commonwealth ba- uh, Bank um colleague he was there as well so I sent them two around the back to the fire exit because I knew the staff would go towards the back because the explosion was at the front of the building you know so them two went around the back and then I got the fire extinguisher managed to get all the the fire out you know the ATMs were on fire and the ceiling and everything else I managed to get out get that out and get inside and try shout shout out people that are inside you know my main concern was just get people out of there you know mate that is an example of incredible quick thinking yeah, I was, yeah, I'm just, I'm used to, you know, I've run my own job, so I'm just used to directing people, so I was, I was shocked myself, don't get me wrong, but um, everyone was scatty and, you know, shouting, screaming, it was a bit of a hectic time, so, yeah, I just sort of just did what I had to do, I knew the fire had to get put out, just in case I can get staff out the front, and also I just knew my instincts was to say, you know, they, they would go towards the back, like a Tuesday, I went to see the police and they told me this the CCTV footage. They show me going in, but as I'm going in, I'm shouting at the top of my voice, trying to, <laughs> you know, hear people to get them out. The staff were actually, I was going in and the staff were already towards the back fire exit, you know, so, which is good, you know, that, that, that they were getting out, you yeah. know. It's 24 to 8. We're talking to Ash Atkins' phone, who was one of the hero tradies who helped save people from that Commonwealth Bank blast a couple of days ago. Now, mate, where this thing moved yesterday was police need to identify two other blokes who were wearing orange high-fizz vests who went in and helped in a similar way to you. Do you have any idea who they are? No, I heard about this yesterday. I did a couple of interviews, Channel 7, Channel 9, trying to um, get them to come forward. Um, I'm not, I don't know who they are because I wasn't round the back, you know. I was just looking after the front and trying my best at the front, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know who they are, but it'd be good if they come forward, you know. They did some good things, I hear, so um, it was good to help the police out as well with statements and stuff, and you know. so Yeah, contact uh, police if you do know anything about it. And you, Ash there mentioned that he's... Uh, Done a bit of telly, and if you may have seen him, this is the bloke that looks like he's built like a bodybuilder. 
Looks like uh, a character out of the Geordie Shore MTV reality series. And, mate, I understand down there in Springvale, uh, since your efforts and since you told your story, you've become a bit popular down there. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, king of Springvale. <laughs> <laughs> Is it all, right? They all, they all, Is they all it? look after me really well, actually. I've got, you know, I'm not allowed to eat cakes because, you know, obviously I train the bodybuilding stuff, but I um, I've got cakes made for me, food, drink brought out, you know. You know, <laughs> so much. So these are people who just have seen you on telly and have come down to give you some cakes as you work on the job yeah. near that bank. Any phone yeah. numbers from the ladies? Yeah, plenty of phone numbers from the ladies, but yeah, that just, that just gets you in trouble, don't it? So <laughs> I, I tend to stay away, you know. <laughs> are you a single man, Ash? Yeah, single. Oh, well, there you go. So, you know, if you did like what you saw on the news, go down and see Ash at the building site. But I understand, yeah. too, so I, I mentioned you look like a character from the MTV show, Geordie Shaw. You, you're, you've got a mate who's on that show, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, my mate James, my mate James uh, Tindall, he's on it. Yeah, we've been mates for years. We used to train in the gym. I used to live. My mum lives in Newcastle upon Tyne. You see, so but, yeah, we go back. We go back a bit. He was here in January. See, he see me here in January. Come over. Um, so yeah, it was good. Magnificent, mate. Well, keep up the good work. And uh, if you're listening and you and you want to bring James a cake, I'm sure he'd appreciate it down there at Springvale. The King of Springvale, Ash Atkins. Phone. Thanks for your time, mate. Cheers. Thank you. The UFC is coming back to Melbourne. It's tomorrow. It's the Australian Rob Whittaker. He's fighting Brunson in the first UFC fight night here in Australia. But joining us in the studio is one of the guest fighters who's here to help promote the sport. And she's a good person to choose too because she's one of the most famous female fighters in the history of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Good morning, Misha Tate. Good morning. It is great to have you here in Australia. And I wanted to ask you, I think when we first got a taste for the UFC here in Melbourne last time with the Rousey Home event last November, people had come around to the idea of mixed martial arts featuring the men, but I think women's fighting was still something they had to get their head around. As someone who's been at the front of developing that part of the sport, why do you think people struggle with it? That's an interesting question, and I think it boils down to a lot of different things. But really, I think it's just kind of human nature sometimes to be hesitant to watch females in combat sports. But I really think that it's come around so, so well, you know, and that the females are, we're, we prove that we're not victims in there. You know, we're, we train hard. We are just like the men when we get in there, and we put on some of the best fights sometimes. So, you know, it's just one of those things people have to, like you said, wrap their heads around. Was it difficult for you at the start when you made the decision to take that career up? I'm sure you must have had a lot of people asking you, what the heck are you doing? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to college and my parents were both like, what are you doing? Why are you, you know, why are we paying for, you know, college and why are you doing that? And why do you get want to get punched in the face? You're smart and you have <laughs> so much more to offer than, you know, fist to fist combat. But it was just something that I loved and I just was, you know, all in from, from the beginning. I started fighting at 19 and I had wrestled in high school against majority against uh, males. So I've been doing combat sports for uh, quite some time. And your record in the UFC was quite extraordinary, your former champion. I mean, what was that like to get that win over Holly Holm? For those who might not know, uh, soon after Holly Holm defeated Ronda Rousey here in Melbourne, uh, she met up with Misha and that was the end of her title run. Right. Yeah. No, that was the, the, the pivotal moment in my career. You know, I had captured the Strikeforce world title. And then, um, we know, when women finally got absorbed into the UFC, which was a battle. I mean, we were knocking on the door for a long time, but we finally got into the UFC. Obviously, my goal then was to reach the top of the chain there. So that was a... 
the highlight of my career for sure. Now, your last fight was against Raquel Pennington at that enormous event, which was a UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden. We talked a lot about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. Uh, Conor McGregor was just promoting the heck out of this thing, and the card itself was just one that made UFC fans particularly excited. Unfortunately, that night didn't go your way, and I watched a few of the videos that were kind of uh, sort of hidden microphones and, and in-between rounds vision that showed you seem to be having a, a pretty tough day. You know, you were, you were talking about how you didn't want to do this anymore with your coach. Was, was it just a day where I guess maybe you yeah. woke up feeling the wrong way? Or? No, I was fine all the way until the fight started. And then I just kind of realized that I didn't want to be in there. You know, I just didn't. I just, it's interesting. It it was so calm for me. It, it wasn't um, exhilarating. You know, it's just like me and you having a conversation here. That's about how exciting it was to me. <laughs> not to say this is an exciting conversation. But <laughs> well then, like, okay. <laughs> but it's I'll not take like, that as you're saying, we're, we're calm here. Yeah, we're yeah, calm. I we're like relaxed. Yeah, relaxed. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just, uh, I just didn't show up. That's amazing considering that this was bigger than Ben-Hur. You know, first yeah. Madison Square Garden no, event, like, thousands of people. Just very nonchalant. So, it so just, because you knew Raquel? Because you were a fir- no, former coach of hers? No, not at all. I mean, it's like when you get into a fist fight with someone, it doesn't matter really, you know, who they are. You're not really thinking about that in the moment. But, yeah, you know, so it's just a transitionary period for me. And I'm I'm just excited to see what's next, you know. Um, I hate to, hate to use the word retired because it's not like I'm going anywhere. I'm still, mm. you know, very involved in the sport. It's just I'm going to be doing different things now. I'll hopefully be doing more analyst work with Fox and, um, you know, being out here in Australia and promoting the events. I mean, that's wonderful. I still have a huge heart for the sport and I always will. Because you did, yeah, for those who may not have seen it, um, Misha, after that fight, after that loss, uh, told the interviewer in the Octagon that she intended to retire now obviously that's not the right word in terms of uh, you know your, your life going forward you're going to continue to work but does that mean your work as a fighter is over well that's yeah that's pretty much what it boils down to you mm. know um, I'm still going to be doing grappling competitions and things like that I actually have one coming up December 11th against Jessica I which is interesting it was supposed to be against Mackenzie Dern, but um, for whatever reason, that didn't come to fruition. So Jessica I signed up, and um, I'm very excited to be doing that. Just uh, no more punching. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. I, I prefer our calm interview here than getting punched in the face right. as well. See, so nice. <laughs> we're I talking to Misha and, Tate. And uh, sip on my hot water and lemon. And- Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Looks delicious. We're talking to Misha Tate, a icon of the UFC, particularly the women's division. I think you'll see a lot of her across all forms of media. You've even got your own show, the Misha Tate podcast, where you're the interviewer. Do you enjoy doing that? Oh, I love it. Yeah, thanks for giving <laughs> that a shout out. It's it's exciting at the new year. We're revamping it right now, putting some interviews together, and it's going to be it's going to be a really solid show moving forward. So I'm very excited, passionate about it for sure. As we spoke before, I think people find somebody like you who has gone down the path of taking up a fighting career as being a fascinating decision. What sort of people interest you? Interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> you know, people that are passionate about what they do and have yeah. have created some of some unique form in their life. I just I find it uh, fascinating to pick other entrepreneurs' brains. Essentially, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. So you like business? What's uh, you've got some sort of ideas going forward in, in the business world? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, my management and I are putting together a lot of great things. I'm managed by Kevin Harvick Incorporated, so they're just phenomenal in every sense of the word. And uh, we will have some very exciting things coming forward, but um, it's a bit soon to really announce anything. Sure. Okay, Misha Tate fans, we'll watch that space.
Now, I did want to ask you about Ronda Rousey. You famously had two fights against her and also a, a UFC Ultimate Fighters series uh, where you really were uh, going at each other there to try and get victory. There's something that linked the two of you. What did you make of her over the past 12 months after that loss here in Melbourne to Holly Home? And now she's getting back in the ring, but she did disappear for a while. Yeah, I don't know. It makes you wonder what, what where her state of mind is. I guess that's kind of the question. And what we're going to get when she steps back in there, nobody really knows. So it depends how motivated she is and how bad she really wants it. You know, is she is she doing it because she wants to or is she doing it because she feels like she has to? You know, those are two very polar opposite ends of the spectrum. So I just wonder what kind of performance we'll get. People like to link the two of you. I think it's because you're both sort of great American athletes and particularly in that country, you know, that means uh, that uh, there's a, I guess, a rivalry that people like to play on. Does that sort of annoy you that the two of you are linked in that way? I mean, yes and no. I always end up getting asked questions about her, but, um, you know, it's one of those things that's also beneficial because they think it elevated both of our careers to have a rival. You know, not everyone's fortunate enough to have someone that, that can create such a good rivalry with. So in that sense, you know, I'm grateful for, for the rivalry, but you know, she's still not my favorite person on the planet. Mm. You don't think you'll ever be friends? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Safe to say. That's no. it. Okay. Well, Rod Laver Arena tomorrow, it is the UFC fight night. And uh, a bit of a change to the lineup, of course, with Luke Rockhold going down injured. But it means the Australian Rob Whitaker will uh, now get his chance to main event a, uh, a UFC fight night. I mean, that must be an honor for any fighter to be at the top of a card. Absolutely. You know, and Rob's a great guy and he's a very talented athlete. And, uh, you know, so is his opponent. So this is going to be a really good fight. Um, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. You know, I understand that the, the main fight fell out, but now we're going to have another, you know, two fighters that get to rise to the occasion, essentially. It's going to be wonderful. I love it. A lot of Aussies in there as well, which is good. Well, I know local people like to see that. And uh, it's, it's a good little arena. Have you ever been in Rod Laver Arena? Um, no, I have not. I've actually never been to Melbourne. This is my first time. Beautiful. Well, that's where the Australian Open final is. So it's where, you know, the Sampresses, the Agassiz, the Federers have all had the trophy aloft. So a lot of history in that building. Well, great. Yeah. It should make for a good fight night. Absolutely. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Melbourne. It's been great to have you in the Triple M studios. Misha Tate, a pleasure to talk. Absolutely. Thank you. The AFL draft happened last night. Eston had the number one pick and they took the Canadian-born Andy McGrath, who they think will fit straight into the 22. We're going to head up to Sydney after the 8 o'clock news and get a bit more of the draft information. Great night for Collingwood with the sons of Gavin Brown and Peter Dacos being taken by the Pies. And also Collingwood, I find this really interesting, drafted a player who was born profoundly deaf, wears a hearing aid and therefore plays with a helmet. What a fascinating story. Wish him all the best. Hey, just an update too to the story we brought you earlier in the program about the ammunition, like a pouch of bullets that was found just sitting on a chair on a train at Cheltenham. I put the photos on Twitter. You can have a look at that at Seb Costello 9 And I've been contacted by a Twitter account called Oz Gunfacts, who this is their feedback. And I guess we'll get this 100% verified. But they say, given the appearance of it, these are factory made 0.45 ACP. And he says that means 0.45 inches in diameter. He says these bullets were all but banned in 2002. Vicpol use a 0.40 inches in diameter. So they're not Vicpol bullets. Goes on to say, given the caliber limits from 2002, except for some narrow purposes, it means that these bullets are unlikely to have been legally possessed. Unlikely to be legally possessed. So therefore, this belonged to somebody who wasn't up to... Very much good. As I said, at Seb Costello 9 is the Twitter account if you want to take a look at the photo. 
the World Cup of Golf is not going so well for Australia. And to tell us more about that, Wayne Grady from Sevens Coverage joins us on the line. And Wayne, it's all about the Danes at the moment. Yeah, it certainly is. What a round that was yesterday. I mean, they threatened uh, to break 60, uh, uh, but they did shoot 60-12 under par. It was just magnificent. Thorburn Ollison was... uh, he played the best of both of them, but it was a combined effort and a great day to watch. Australia sits 10 shots behind the lead. What's going wrong with our pair, Adam Scott and Mark Leishman? Uh, well, Scotty, Scotty really isn't playing very well. Uh, I haven't seen Mark play for a while, but last week at the Aussie Open, Scotty had a good second round, but the other three rounds were you know, not up to the standard that he would expect. And uh, today's foursomes, which is the most difficult uh part of the, the tournament where they play alternate shots and uh, it's really the hardest game and they're going to, they need a good one today, but it's a hard hard uh, format to really make up a lot of ground with. And the other sides that have been performing well, the Chinese and the Spaniards. Yeah, absolutely. The Chinese are going uh, great guns. Uh, Li Hao Tong, he's, uh, he's played fantastically and the Spaniards didn't do a great deal yesterday. They shot 67, but uh, the average score yesterday was 66.6. So they just marked time, really. Uh, but it's a, a good going to be a good afternoon's golf. A little bit, it won't be as exciting as yesterday because it's a foursomes format, but it, it'll still be good. Weather's going to be pretty much the same. The golf course is fantastic condition. And you mentioned it'll be the alternate shot. So just for those who might not be familiar with how that game scenario is played, what does that actually mean? What are they going to be doing? Well, so someone will hit off the odd holes, someone will, the other guy will hit off the even holes, and you take uh, you take turns in having a shot to play the hole out. So, uh, you know, for argument's sake, Kelson will hit off the first, and then Olsen will hit the second shot and finish that hole, and then the next hole, the second, Olsen will hit off uh, the second, and they'll play it out. So it's, it's very difficult because it puts uh, a lot of pressure on you because you really... Uh, unlike uh, when you're playing your own ball, you can free wheel it. This one, you really uh, puts pressure on you not to mess up for your partner. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure it, uh, as you say, puts a bit of pressure on uh, the two teams to look after each other, two members of the team to look after each other. Will we be keeping an eye on that? Kingston Heath is where it's happening. The World Cup of Golf probably be on the Australians from this point. But Wayne Grady will be watching you on the Seven Network, bringing us all the news. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. And last night... We saw the AFL draft take place up there in Sydney. Essendon had the number one pick and they took the Canadian-born Andy McGrath. We had a good look at some of his clearance work. He's good around stoppages, so he gives us some, uh, I think, really good versatility and um, that leg speed through the middle is going to complement Heppel and uh, Darcy Parrish and Kyle Langford and Zachy Merritt over a long period of time now. The coach of the Bombers there, John Worsfold, talking about his new player, his number one pick. And for more, we go to the gun of the Herald Sun footy department, the footy writer from that paper. Good morning, Sam Landsberger. Good morning, Seth. Thanks for having me. Mate, absolute pleasure. You are up in Sydney. When we think about this Andy McGrath, who is the number one draft pick, which sort of players currently at AFL level should we be comparing him to? Oh, I think the one that's been going around for a while is Jason Johannesson, the North Smith medalist from the Western Bulldogs. But the exciting thing for Bomber fans is McGrath was probably pegged as him early in the year. And then he evolved from this sort of blistering halfback into this full-time midfielder. So he's probably going to take his game to another level from there. And the best part about this kid from the Bombers is he's just a, a full-time leader. He will walk into that club and he could be captain one day. Um, he was school captain at Brighton Grammar. 
and he just had everything on his plate this year, and he and he um, he lapped it up. I think oh, my favourite anecdote about Andy is that he was vice captain of the footy team at, at school, co-captain of Big Metro in the Sandringham Dragons leadership group, captain of the school athletics team, and above all that, um, I think his school was down on numbers at the school choir. He's tone deaf, but join the choir as well. <laughs> he literally does everything. <laughs> Look at that co-curricular. That reminds me of uh, Luke Ball, who I think was just about in every possible club and or band at Xavier when he was there, and uh, a premiership player to boot. So Bomber fans will be hoping the same for Andy McGrath. Hey, uh, probably a good night from the perspective of Collingwood nostalgics with a couple of 1990 premiership prodigies having their sons picked up. Yeah, the best part about this was that they got them cheaply. So uh, no, no bid came on Josh Dacos. They picked him with the final selection. And Callum Brown, a bid didn't come until the 30s. So um, they're both smaller sides. But to, to link up Callum Brown, Josh Dacos and Darcy Moore, uh, it's, it's, it's a throwback to the 90s. It's really exciting for Magpie fans. They had a really, really good night. I think Collingwood were one of the big winners last night. And when you combine that with adding Daniel Wells and, and uh, you know Chris Mayne and a couple other players in October, I think the Pies should be, should be really, really bullish about 2017. Eddie is going to be very excited when he gets back to Triple M on Monday. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing him. We're talking to Sam Landsberger, Herald Sun footy writer. Also, I'm fascinated by Collingwood's first pick, which was a young man by mm. the name of Sam McClarty, who I read was born with profound deafness. Yeah, born with profound deafness. I think that was diagnosed when he was about nine months old. So he's actually got a bionic ear. Um, So a little bit of a different story for Sam. Um, It has no impact on his footy whatsoever, but Mm. a bionic ear, so you don't read that every day. Uh, He's just from what sort of player he is. I think he's about 197 centimetres and can play at either end. But really that key defender, which the Magpies list needed, they obviously lost. Jack Frost and Nathan Brown and a few others uh, last month. So to bring him in along with Lyndon Dunn, it really does shore up the back half. But yeah, a little bit of a different pathway for Sam. Talking about the AFL draft, which took place last night in Sydney. Now, Sammy, I'm feeling like Hawthorne may well be taking the P1S5 here. (laughs) So just a bit of background. Obviously, during the trade period, they lost two of their champions or allowed them to walk, really. Sam Mitchell leaving the club, going to West Coast. Jordan Lewis leaving the club to go to Melbourne. They had pick 76. That was their first pick in the draft. And tell us what happened. They drafted a bloke called Mitchell Lewis. Now, if that is not taking it, I don't know what is. You've got to get, take your hat off to Graham Wright, the recruiter. <laughs> Sam Mitchell goes, Jordan Lewis goes, and they draft Mitchell Lewis. And it gets even better. Yeah. What number did he wear at the quarter cannons? Oh, tell me. Five, three. 53. three. Oh, Sam Mitchell's five good. and Jordan Lewis is three. Um, outstanding sportsman. Um, he's going to be a really interesting one to follow. He's a 198-centimetre tall forward. He was a gun golfer, and he was nearly picked in the Victorian under-17 cricket team. He's this big sort of tearaway paceman. I think he plays golf off scratch. Um, he's a big, quick bowler. And, uh, yeah, Mitchell Lewis, who wore 53, <laughs> as ironic as it comes. The AFL draft sounds like it's fast becoming the draft of humanity. As in, we're picking some of the most exceptional human beings to go play football. All these guys have the co-curricular interests. Well, mate, you keep gunning it. I uh, I do have to ask, too, some people might not know this, but you do have a personal fond spot for the Western Bulldogs. Have you come down from the clouds since that premiership win yet? Well, I'll tell you what, I've been lifted back up last night. I reckon they got the steal of the night. They've uh, they've won the premiership and they've got the draft slider and the, the best rough, rough prospect we've probably seen in several years at pick 18 or pick 19, so... Um, I think Doggy fans will wake up this morning 
premiership in one, you know, premiership <laughs> in the rearview mirror, and just thinking, oh, what might be, uh, what might be ahead? Because they've uh, done very well again. Mate, somebody has done something very good in a former life down there at the kennel to just have all this glory coming your way, but you have waited a long time for it. Sammy Landsberger from the Herald Sun, thanks for your time. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. And the car chase across Melbourne yesterday was out of control. One triple three five three. If you happen to see it, if you're a witness, if you know anything about it, give us a call because we need to piece some things together because ultimately the driver and his passenger, well, they're still on the run. If you didn't see it, a stolen black BMW with originally four teenagers inside sped at around 150 kilometres across highways and through towns going from Thomastown to Lansfield to Heathkit to Kilmore and was last seen heading to Bendigo. Uh, one woman almost got run over. You could clearly see this on the helicopter pictures that was coming into the Nine Newsroom yesterday. There were trucks and cars that almost had this stolen BMW drive straight into their front seat. And whenever the car ran out of fuel, the kids just swung into a service station they filled up, they left the hose lying on the floor and drove off. And these guys, at least two of them, are still on the run. When they pulled into one of the service stations, two girls got out. They were arrested at a nearby supermarket, but the driver and the passenger, well, we don't know who they are. What is going on? Up until recently, it was just the thought of a violent teenager ripping you out of your car and stealing your vehicle that we had to contend ourselves with here in Victoria. Well, that seems like a pleasant alternative now to having these kids who may or may not be licensed coming straight at you on a highway before they swerve out of the way at the last minute. I spoke to Victoria Police this morning. We got a statement from them. We asked them for more information as they continue to hunt these kids. We thought maybe we could help try and find them. The statement says... Victoria Police is not going into specifics about operational matters. We don't want to assist offenders with knowledge of our methodology. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to matter whether they had the methodology or not. These kids are still on the run and they got away with it. And why not? I mean, let's face it, even if you did catch them, this is Victoria. So all they would have to do was say sorry and a magistrate would probably let them go out and bail. Uh, If they were really unlucky, though, well, sure, they may have to get a letter from their teacher saying that they really are a good person. It just happens to be the five cars and three houses they burgled that was a bad day. I mean, it is extraordinary. And we need to look at a whole range of things, including the police pursuit policy, which back in 2015, you remember, was revised Vic Pohl said they were no longer going to chase people if it ended up being a dangerous situation. Well, that led to a whole lot of confusion. And in the end, the policy was revised, but Vic Pohl decided not to go public with the details of it because they don't want to educate criminals. Well, it's not Vic Pohl's fault. You've got to point to some of the courts who are letting these kids go out, these repeat offenders go out as part of the problem. But either or, yesterday, we were very lucky that somebody wasn't killed or seriously injured, and we don't want to see that happening again. So if you do have any information on who these guys are, one triple three, call us either with some information, one triple three five three, or get onto Crime Stoppers or call Victoria Police on triple O. Ready. About a right banana, the biggest high five act you've ever seen in your life. Come on, mate, follow me, follow me to the bench. This is Brian Taylor. Looks like I'm the only one to win a Coleman and be in a film. And this. Is Bristles missing? Take your flags, we'll stick them you know where. Good morning, BT. Uh, good morning, Seb. How are you going? Mate, I want to talk to you about Faf Duplessis, who on Thursday night... Is it Faf, Fafafil, or Fat, <laughs> or what, which one is it? Let's I go, don't quite know yet. Let's go with Faf. And he Faf. is trolling Australia beautifully at the moment. After he cheated yeah. earlier in the week and yet was still allowed to play... He goes out there Thursday night, hits himself a century. He complains about being booed. First of all, did you ever complain about being booed? 
No, nah, well, look, he's just got to understand we don't like him. Um, <laughs> he cheated. And uh, get on with it, mate. You know, faff, foof, foo, <laughs> whoever you are, just get on with it and uh, stop being such a sook. And, you know, they, what, he made some comments about our captain the other day as well. The guy's just a bloody idiot. I mean, what's, what's wrong with these South Africans? They're an unusual side at the moment. Now, I'll yeah. take you to Thursday night where Dave Warner injures his shoulder throwing a ball back from the fence. He goes off the ground. The rule is if you're off the ground for more than eight minutes, you have to return to the field for the same period of time that you were off the ground before you can bat or bowl again. So Faf over here is the umpire talking with the Australians and telling them that Dave Warner has another six minutes before he can possibly bat. So Faf calls the declaration and cuts Dave Warner out of the opening lineup for Australia. What did you make of that? Oh, that I wasn't aware that that happened. I've been <laughs> watching a lot of cricket, I've got to tell you. But that is an absolute disgrace. Did that happen? Yep, absolutely. But uh, there are some people who admire the deviousness of it because you've got a bloke called yeah. Renshaw who is on debut for Australia as an opener. He's probably pooing his pants to begin with. But the yeah. one thing that's been comforting him all week is that Dave Warner has been taking him aside and saying, mate... Don't worry, I'm going to be there when you get out there. I'll take yeah. the strike and all the pressure. And then the moment rolls around and Dave Warner's nowhere to be seen because of a declaration from the South Africans. There's always been something nasty about the South African attitude, I reckon. There's mm. always been, for mm. as long as I can remember, a bit of nasty, mm. a bit of nastiness, a bit of, uh, bit of fight between Australia and South Africa. And it's quite deep-seated, I reckon. Now, mate, let's have a look at the AFL draft, move on to footy a bit, because uh, your old side, the Magpies, drafted the sons of a few of your old teammates. We now have a Brown and a Dacos mm-hmm. back on the Collingwood list. Well, Brown's the better of them. There's no doubt about that. He's, he's just a great, uh, a great little player. and He's going to be absolutely fantastic for Collingwood in the future, not to mention the, the family connection as well, which is, uh, you know, incredible that Gavin was such a good player. But, and Peter Dacos, taken on a little bit later, his son. Um, but... There was some doubt as to whether they were going to take him. I think the fact that he did go so late, obviously, it, it helped out. But there's also a couple of little question marks around him. But I'm sure he'll be okay. I, I just, you know, I just hope that uh, he can um, he can get around the fact that his name's Dacos and Dad lets him do uh, do the work and do the business and uh, let, lets the footy club uh, look after him from here on in. Just out of interest, Brian, did you would you have any idea? Who across their career had the better average goals kicked in a match between you and Peter Dacos? Probably, I probably would have thought myself, but um, I'm, I'm not sure. Who, who was No, you it? certainly did, Brian. You certainly did. Right. You had uh, 3.79 and the Macedonian Marvel 2.2. Yeah, oh, he's a long way back. <laughs> a long way back, the uh, Macedonian goalkeeping machine. So if he's called a Macedonian goalkeeping machine, what am I called? <laughs> Plenty of things. And industry. My... <laughs> I'm a goalkeeping industry. <laughs> Uh, now listen. Uh, also, Seb, yes. my uh, my son, twenty-one-year-old son Harrison, yes, is currently on the walk of his life. Now, this is no walk where you walk down a road and it's all good, and you know people pat you on the back and say well done. He's doing it for um, um, teenage mental illness, oh, really? uh, raising a few bucks. Yeah, he's walking from Canberra to Walhalla on the Great Alpine Walking Track. Now, it sounds like it's a big track. The track is no more than a um, a, a, a sometimes used, uh, you know, uh, kangaroo track. It is Gosh. barely defined. In fact, they got lost the other day. They're up around. They arrived at Mount Kosciuszko yesterday. They hadn't seen anyone for seven days on the track. Um, they are sleeping mostly above 1,500 metres. Um, so it's an incredible walk, incredible feat. He and one mate at the moment are, um, 
uh, around Threadbow. They've just picked up their second lot of food. They carry seven days worth of food and then they have a, have a pack hidden in the bush to, uh, to get the next uh, seven days underway. So they're just past uh, Threadbow. Good on Freezing them. cold up there and doing a great job for uh, teenage mental illness. Can people support them if they want to? It's a good cause. I've sent the, I've sent the link in. Uh, so can you put it All up? Right. I'll check it on social media. Let people know. Look, if they can throw in 10 bucks or yeah. something like that, it would be absolutely fantastic um, if, they could, uh, if they could do something like that. They're not looking at raising thousands and thousands. This will be something where they'll walk away and they'll raise three or 4,000 and they'll go, how good an experience was that? Yeah, no, it's brilliant, mate. Well, good on Harrison, good on his mate. And, uh, yeah, we will. We'll get that link on social media. Mate, uh, good to chat. Have a good weekend. Good on you, Seb. If only you could see the dancing that goes on in the studio every time that music gets played. It's a very good morning to Chanel Vella from the 10 Eyewitness News team. Good morning. Now, spiders scare me to begin with. Oh, Lord. But you said you had something that'll terrify me. I've got a bit of a story for you. <laughs> so do I need to be, I feel like I need to put a seatbelt on or something. I'm going to take you, just cast your mind over to Bendigo for me. Right. So I'm currently seeing Bendigo. I'm, I'm seeing yep. the beautiful main drag. Oh, there goes a stolen BMW on a high-speed car chase <laughs> with police. Okay, good. What's happening next? Well, it's interesting you mentioned crime because I believe that Huntsman's are the apex gang of the arachnid world. This is the biggest law and order priority in Victoria at the moment. Yeah, Huntsman's are terrifying. Honestly, they invade your home. They want to get in your car. Apex gang of the bug world. That's a very clever comparison. So Natasha Joyce Mm -hmm. discovered a Huntsman in her mailbox. You'd think you'd just kill that. Or scream, burn it. No, I'd no. get some massive tin of raid or something. Yeah. Open up the door of the letterbox. I mean, it's a the, it's the a chamber. No, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Turn it into the homemade flamethrower and have a roast huntsman. Yeah, no. She didn't do that. She's let it Joycey, live. Joycey, what are you doing? A wonderful life. She's let it live and it has had 200 babies. Oh, no. 200 oh. babies. Why, when you say that, do I feel like they're crawling all over me at the moment? Now, the next step is... 200 babies. She's documented it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, Joycey. There's has, something wrong with Joycey. You've got to feel bad for the postman. Yeah. Honestly. Oh, so what, the, the Huntsman family is just living in the letterbox. Happily. What? They're happily living in there. And it's gone viral. <laughs> We're going to have to get this link onto our social media. I'll, uh, can you email us the link and Absolutely. we can let people have a look at these? Huntsmen's are awful. I was driving back from the beach last summer and it was like something out of a horror movie. Oh, there yeah. I am behind the wheel. Yep. And you know those moments in movies where mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger sort of pops up from the back seat in the middle of the cab yep. with his long you know, yep. knife fingers? Well, this was this Huntsman that just dropped down the back windscreen and just sat there. So right in the rearview mirror is eight legs of terror. Stopped the car, danced around a bit on the side of the highway because I was a little bit terrified. So then I roll up a bit of newspaper in the car, build up the courage to pull open the back seat uh, pedestrian side door, smack the huntsman with the newspaper, which was quite a brave thing. Yes. The huntsman clings to the newspaper (laughs) and swings back out. (laughs) So now it is about a foot from my head looking at the newspaper. I scream, throw it away, and fortunately it flew off the newspaper into the garden. But I don't think I've ever been more terrified for a period of 45 seconds. Now, I wouldn't normally talk about getting naked on radio. Right. But I'm going to go there. Okay. Watering the garden. (laughs) (laughs) Wearing shorts, <laughs> yes. feel something on my leg. Oh no! Just 
just didn't look yeah. and did a bit of a brush. Right. Continued watering. Oh, no, still something there. As I looked down, I saw it run oh. into my shorts. Oh. oh. Yeah. Immediately naked in the backyard. Yeah. That's the only way. And oh. I, I never saw it again. What is a huntsman know. like on skin? Horrific. <laughs> Horrific. Because they're hairy, aren't they? Oh, it feels like hell. Oh. That's what it feels like. And you never, the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, That's absolutely. Get. It just if anything touches you after you see a spider in that like half an hour sort of time frame, you just want to die. One triple three five three. We want your spider stories. And let's start out at Baronia with Peter. Good morning. G'day, mate. How you going? Your spider story, mate. Uh, mate, washing my son's car. We're getting ready to sell it. Had spiders all over it. And as I'm on the at the back of the car, I'm on the top, and I'm, I'm sorry, I feel something floating around my neck, and I thought oh, it was like no. a fly or a bee. Oh. And then as I walk past the window, I look in the, the, the window of the car, and the reflection is this spider hanging off my hat, <laughs> hanging around my neck, oh. and absolutely freaked out. I'll rip my shirt off, rip your head off, yep. run inside the missus, there's one, Robbie! Yep. This big black thing, too. It was shocking oh. the spider. Oh, Pete, that I uh, never found it. Absolutely scared the crap out of me. Yeah. It's the naked dance that you have to do. It's just absolutely terrifying. And you can always just measure them by the, by the size of the hand. You go, it was as big as my hand. You absolutely do. Peter, thanks for your call to Ferntree Gully. And Danny, what's your spider story? Uh, good morning, fellas. Um, yeah, I, was, uh, I was living in Lilydale when I had a horse got its leg stuck under a fence. And I uh, dragged, dragged out a big crow bar and was trying to move the lump of up at uh, timber so we'd get the horse's leg out and this bloody mouse-eating spider comes screaming out of the garden bed at <laughs> What is a mouse-eating <laughs> spider? Yeah, I said it SH1-2'd me. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I later found out that they're related to a funnel whip. Oh, no. Nah. shit out of me. How yeah. big is a mouse-eating spider? Oh, about as big as your hand. Yeah. See, <laughs> that's the comparison every time. It's as big as your hand. It's the only way. You can judge them. Good one, Danny. Thanks for your call. And to Forest Hill, to finish us off, it is a very good morning to Sarah. Hi, guys. How are you? Really well. What's your spider story? Uh, I was driving home after picking my little one up from kinder, and it was summer, peak hour traffic, and I noticed in the um, corner of my eye that he was moving around quite a bit. And I looked in the rear vision mirror, and he had a huntsman crawling all over his face, his hair, just going nuts on him. And I screamed like a crazy woman, and he was laughing at me because I was screaming, so I had to... Pull over, got out, got him out, and and then you gave find your it. son away because you could possibly never <laughs> love him again after seeing that. That is terrible. It was. It was so bad. He thought it was hilarious. I, I still oh, shiver. <laughs> no, I would have washed him about fifty times after that. <laughs> Sarah, thank you very much for your call. Now, before we finish up, uh, Chanel Vella is a McDonald's fan. Hit me. If you want uh, to just make any suggestions of McDonald's-related <laughs> stories, we should ask Chanel about. Give us, uh, give us a tweet at Seb Costello Nine. But how is this? The world's biggest burger chain has begun testing table service at 500 of its domestic stores across the United yes. States. Yes. Table service. I love it. Would it's that go fancy. on? <laughs> Take me on a date to Macca's. <laughs> a little bow tie. Oh, absolutely. I don't need Voudemont. I just need <laughs> McDonald's. You know what we are going to do, though, if you wouldn't mind? What? Do you reckon we could organise for you to go see the film The Founder, which is about Ray Kroc, who developed McDonald's into yes. the international success? Could you do a review for us? Absolutely. Magnificent. I would love to. Okay, it's our last show next week for the year. So you will turn Margaret and David on us and give us a little review. I'm going to sneak Maccas into the cinema. <laughs> Surely that's appropriate <laughs> in that sort of context. Chanel Vella from the 10 Eyewitness News team, it has been a pleasure.
although it has been a little bit creepy to spend so much time talking spiders. Oh, I just need to rid it from my brain. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Thanks to all the callers, including Sarah and Danny. The Dead Set Legends up next. It is Mark Howard and Brendan Favola, Ian Baker-Finch, their very, very special guest to talk a little bit of golf, and I'm sure they'll be touching on the AFL draft and everything. You have a magnificent weekend. Same to you. Triple M trainees, wise up. Ditch the paperwork and run your business on bridge. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello.